0: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC.
1: Welcome to Real Jam Radio. I'm Daniel, we your host and so happy to have you with us for this episode. While the off season is not all the way done, still have some big restricted free agents out there. And then, of course, the Kyrie Irving news that came out recently that needs to be resolved in some way, shape or form. But I think we are getting a better sense of exactly where this is going to be. And so I wanted to bring back the Tears podcast, which I enjoy doing so much during the season as an off-season exercise. And... My guest for it is my former editor at the Sporting News, now the deputy editor for The Win and USA Today Sports, Adi Joseph. And we were going to do the whole thing in one shot, but we ended up getting so into the Western Conference that it made for an episode in and of itself. So it's more than an hour going through it. We go top to bottom through kind of how we see it separating out. And I thought it was great to do it at this point, and kind of sets the table for everything that's coming up. And as I said, it runs a little bit over an hour. This episode is brought to you by Blue Apron, fantastic food delivery service. You can go to blueapron.com slash real GM to get three meals for free, including free shipping on your first order. You should definitely check that out. And you can listen to the podcast.
0: Hope you enjoy it. Thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, thanks for having me, as always.
1: I wanted to do a Tears podcast now. I mean, obviously, the off season's not even done. We're recording this a couple hours after the reporting of Kyrie Irving's trade demand, the, at least the first part of this. So that's part of the reason we're starting with the West. And... I think about this more, at least at this point in the process, as a regular season exercise because there there are a couple parts of it. But so I guess where you start, if we're starting at the top of the West, is do you see anybody in the same tier as the Warriors?
0: Yeah, that's the fun part about this is we still haven't seen a couple teams who engaged in major changes this offseason. We still haven't seen what they actually look like. But no, (laughs) point blank, what the Warriors have is a team where they have – Three of the top 10, four of the top 20 players in the NBA, they have a lineup that has incredible switchability, incredible offensive ability, and has four players who are defenders, who are elite defenders at their positions. So the Warriors have, I would say, a pretty clear leg up. If they're healthy, they're the best team in the West.
1: The other element of this that I think is important to consider is that the Warriors won 67 games last year. They were fairly healthy. I mean, Durant missed 19 games with the MCL injury, but other than that, they were pretty healthy. But they had nobody who played in the top 25, I think, in minutes per game. So they didn't have to push it that hard. And they were still six games clear of everybody in the West. And then, you know, and then it was still another six until they got to the Rockets. So, yes, I think the Rockets are better. I think the Rockets are meaningfully better. We don't even know if they're done. But I think of the tiers in terms of surprise. And it would really surprise me if anybody else got past them, because I think the Warriors will be 65 or thereabouts.
0: Yeah, I think they'll be more you know t- Kevin Durant missed twenty games last season, and for the first part of the year was trying to adjust and It seemed like it was easy for them to get to sixty five it 's really an, an incredible team, in and they 've made it better, I think that uh, you know Omri Caspi, Jordan Bell, and even Nick Young can all. Contribute next season, including Jordan Bell, for this team, and and just makes them better somehow. I I don't even know what to say. It's 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 just a crazy good team.
1: They also can be, if they want to, more judicious about how much they rest their best players without really sacrificing that much. But obviously, you're better if Steph Curry's on the floor. You're better if Clay Thompson's on the floor. But having Nick Young, having Caspi, Jordan Bell, McCaw being capable of playing more minutes than he did last year, even though he stepped up when Durant was out. I think that they can make a lot of that work and not sacrifice in terms of wins. Like, maybe their point differential will be worse in that way, like if they give Curry and claim fewer minutes and I actually think this might actually be a factor in terms of not necessarily minutes but also scheduled rest I think they might actually just later on in the season just start giving those guys games off we'll have to see I know Kerr doesn't like it but I think that's just kind of the world we're living in now but I don't think that's going to affect their win total that much because this team without any single one of their players is still better than almost every team they'll face
0: yeah I mean the one thing that they maybe got a little worse in is that Ian Clark was a guy who could step in and run the same plays and do the same function as Curry, not nearly as well as Curry, and I'm not sitting here arguing that Ian Clark is a a really good player, a really important piece of what they did, but they don't really have the de facto guy to do what Steph did when Steph's not in. You know that puts a lot on Sean Livingston. That probably asked Patrick McCaw to play some point guard, which he's not really a point guard at all, and wasn't even in college. But beyond that, hard to argue that this team got any worse, and pretty easy to get argue that they got better.
1: Yeah, I think that's certainly fair. So then we can move on to tier two, and there are kind of two questions that I think are very interesting here. One is composition, so who makes it in, who makes it out, and then also ordering. Because I'll let you go first, because I think my order is different than what other people would have.
0: Yeah. I am a person who thinks that in, in the regular season, at least, you can trust the, the Spurs to get 60 wins. So the question is, does anyone else get 60 wins? Do the Rockets, do the Thunder get 60 wins? And for right now, I'm going to play it a little safe and I'm going to say that the Spurs are my number two houston's my number three and the thunder are my number four and that's that's the second tier to me and i do think there's arguments for the clippers there's arguments for the jazz maybe being a grizzlies-esque defensive team that wins enough games to crack this but those are the the three teams that i think clearly are challenging the warriors can realistically hope that if the warriors are injured or if something goes wrong with golden state that they might actually win the west
1: I agree with you in terms of talent. When I project it out, even though we're as far out as we are, I actually have the Thunder a tier below in the regular season for a couple reasons. One is last year they were a spectacular crunch time team. They were 10 games over 500 in games decided with five points with five minutes to go. Well, there are reasons to say that some of that will continue. Russell Westbrook was fabulous. They put a bunch of defenders on the floor. I just never assume that, you know, you kind of assume things are going to go back to even and then if they outperform it. And that is a big factor because you think about how good the Rockets and the Spurs were last year. I feel like that's more repeatable, especially when you consider talent like you. I was expecting this to be a point of contention between us. Apparently it is not. Between the Spurs and the Rockets, I think San Antonio is a worse playoff team right now than they would have been last year without... I mean, before Kawhi got hurt, obviously, that screwed everything up. But as a regular season team, they're going to beat so many other squads just by being the Spurs. They have execution. They still have a ton of talent. And... And they're still really good. So I, I think the Spurs right now, they are I expect them to have the second best record, even though I think there are some reasons to be really concerned about where they're going. And also, they don't have the adjustment period that the Rockets do. Like the Spurs are just going to come in on day one and they'll be doing their stuff. They'll be beating the lottery teams basically every single time. They'll be beating basically everybody at home. And then they'll win a fair portion of the road games. The Rockets, you know, they might have some just clunkers in there as they're trying to figure all this out. That I think the margin between those two teams is so close that that makes more of a difference than the talent disparity.
0: Yeah, and I mean, what we're talking about here is they do they lead the league in spursness, and that's that's a factor. And and this is a team that is really well put together. They're counting on young players, which is something that every time Greg Popovich is ready to count on a DeJounte Murray type player, he turns out to be worth counting on. Danny Green was worth counting on. Kawhi Leonard certainly was worth counting on. So if if they're counting on DeJounte Murray and Kyle Anderson to take a jump, I think the reason they're doing so is because they genuinely believe that those guys are capable of it. And I'm not one to say that Greg Popovich doesn't have a really firm command of what his team is capable of. The other factor is, let's not act like Jonathan Simmons was some incredible force who was crucial. In in the playoffs, he had a huge role. Before the playoffs, in the regular season, Jonathan Simmons wasn't even always a positive for the Spurs in the regular season. So in terms of the goal of getting to 60 wins again, like they seem to always do— I don't think losing Jonathan Simmons, I don't think seeing a couple guys get a little bit older, I, that's factor. Those are factors for sure. Dwayne Dedman's to me the biggest loss for their regular season I I
1: agree with that too especially because Dedman gave them a a versatility that was different like Simmons was similar in some ways to what they got from other guys and Dedman was entirely different and they didn't really replace him so I agree with you that that's a potential limitation I also just think their front court if we're not counting like their bigs let's say bigs, because I was gonna say front court but their their front their bigs just lack like kind of athleticism lack pop and so I think there's certain games where that could be a problem for them but that's more of a playoff issue issue than a regular season issue even so
0: there's like a, a thousand percent chance that Boris dia returns to the spurs mid-season and right like that that's gonna happen isn't it <laughs> i mean unless somebody offers
1: him a lot more money but i don't really know who that would be like i don't know who's it just seems
0: there. It just seems too obvious the spurs have to that has that has to happen
1: <laughs> well, and then there, there's also a point with the Rockets who I really like, like their ceiling is very impressive to me, but there's sort of a diminishing returns concept with having PJ Tucker and Luke Richard and Bob Mute and Trevor Rees on the same team in the regular season. I, I think there's a reason why Daryl Morey did that. And I love that reason, but as a regular season exercise, I don't think that matters.
0: No, I think what we're talking about here is is Greg Popovich. And then Here's the here's the big question for the for the Rockets is can Mike I, and I know that there's a lot of people who hate our who hate talking about this, but bluntly Mike D'Antoni's teams are bad on defense. Historically, over and over again, the best he can get is like maybe a top ten defense. But we're talking about a team that has, by my count, like four or five rotation players who are notoriously bad on defense, and no one, not even Clint Capella, not even Chris Paul, who's the best point guard defender in the NBA. Who is a a a, cover-up, a guy who, like a Draymond Green does, can just cover up defensive lapses and make those guys who are not good defenders into good defenders. And so that's what I think the Rockets really could use right now, and there's just not one on the market. And I can tell you Carmelo Anthony is the opposite of that
1: he really is he he is the opposite of that and i'm also excited to see kind of how their front court looks with chris paul like i think we could see a very different Clint capella this year in a good way also he's young enough that he can improve i just think the rockets like if it works it's going to work really well and even if it doesn't work they're still going to be really good and that's why they have so much
0: talent yeah talent is i and and the flip side of what i just said I'm not worried about chemistry. I'm not worried about Chris Paul and James Harden not knowing how to play offense together. Are you kidding me? These guys have played on all-star teams, and they played in Team USA, and they love it. They love – look how good these guys are when they play for Team USA. It's what – every NBA player wants to be surrounded by more talent, by more equal players, and they figure it out. Dwayne Wade wasn't supposed to be any good next to LeBron James and they won two titles and almost won a third. It's just how these guys are wired, that they react differently, they respond differently, which kind of brings us to the th- the thunder, because to me, Paul George and Russell Westbrook can bring out the best in each other, while a lot of other people wonder how they're going to click. I think they respect each other in a way that Russell Westbrook didn't respect anyone on his team last year. And that's a big factor in terms of, Guys just clicking and and, and really respecting each other and wanting to play together and making it work as a result. And that's what Daryl Morey believes in. Daryl Morey believes get as much talent as possible. It doesn't matter what the fit is. It doesn't matter if this guy plays my style of basketball. We can figure it out once we get the talent.
1: There's also an ancillary point to that, which is kind of the way that we're doing this exercise, And I think that there's a very real chance that the Paul George part of it doesn't work as well, just because he has in Indiana, he's talked about kind of being the guy. There was that play in the Cav series where he wanted to take the last shot, even though he wasn't open, that sort of thing. But even if that comes to pass, I don't think that's going to affect them in the regular season unless they like trade him, which I don't think they're going to do. So they're still a really good team. I have them a tier below just because the idea of if it like with the Rockets, even if it doesn't work, they're still really good with the thunder if it doesn't work there's still a playoff team but they're not necessarily like a an elite hosting a hosting a, sec, a, a first round series type of playoff team so i have them separate but that was one of the lines that was sticky so you have the thunder in tier two but then who do you have in tier three
0: my tier three is pretty empty but i do think the clippers and jazz are still in there an interesting pair of teams that i'm definitely looking forward to talking about and then ultimately, I still think the Grizzlies have Marcus have Mike Conley. And for the regular season, at least, I trust them to be a very solid West playoff team. Not a team that's super worried about being in the mix. So if the Grizzlies are healthy, I have them in, in tier three too.
1: This is really interesting and probably the biggest difference I've had when we've been doing these tiers podcasts, which I love doing, and I'm good. This is going to be fun to talk about with you. So not only do I not have, so I I have the Thunder in tier three. Obviously, is the, that we talked about that difference. The only other team I have in tier three is a team you didn't mention at all, and that's Minnesota. Minnesota? Oh, I'm sorry.
0: I left them out. Okay. My okay. So Minnesota's in there too. Yeah, a, Okay. So, so they're in there too.
1: Okay. So then that's not as, it's not as interesting. So my tier three is
0: just OKC
1: in Minnesota. And there's a very specific reason for it. And that is, I don't think Minnesota's necessarily, it's kind of the Mori idea. I don't necessarily think that this is going to work perfectly, but they have enough there that that's there. And then also the Thibodeau element of this. So Minnesota's bench doesn't really make much sense right now. Other than that they have big man depth, congratulations you have big man depth at a time when that doesn't matter very much. But that doesn't affect Tom Thibodeau at all. Thibodeau's going to play Jimmy Butler. He's going to play Andrew Wiggins. Those guys are going to get like 38 to 40 minutes a night. So it doesn't matter if your bench depth is basically just Jamal Crawford, Tyus Jones, Taj Gibson, or Gorgi Jang and cardboard cutouts because those cardboard cutouts aren't going to
0: play. Yeah, if we're if we're talking Timberwolves I think that this is a really, really important transition year. I think this is the year where they figure out how to win and how to be a playoff team. And so that's why I have them in Tier Three. For me, Tier Three is a group of teams that I think have the right to expect to be playoff teams, but not much more. And uh, the Timberwolves are that team because they don't know how to win yet. Like these young players from last year are not, you know, Andrew Wiggins is not a good defender yet. Uh, we all thought he'd be a great defender, and he might still one day become a great defender right now, he doesn't know how to defend yet. And uh, to me, this is a team where you've got incredible upside, but it's moving forward. It's the day that Carl Anthony Towns, who also isn't a good defender yet and also has tremendous defensive potential, is today he becomes a actual rim protector and a guy who really does have all the versatility on the defensive end that he has on the offensive end. So it's... It's a team with fantastic potential. But I actually, I got to tell you, I rank them below the Clippers. Not only below the Thunder, but below the Clippers. Um, So I have five Clippers, six Timberwolves, seven Jazz, eight Grizzlies. That, to me, is my tier two, tier three of teams that kind of expect rightly that if they're healthy, they'll make the playoffs.
1: That's interesting. I I think I see your rationale behind it. With the Clippers, there are two big concerns of mine, because I have them in in the next tier. I don't even have them necessarily the highest team in the next year, but injuries are a major concern for me. And then also front court depth, like Willie Reed really does help them. But in terms of the forwards, like they don't really have a wing defender at this moment. And so that's something that will burn them against certain teams. And then they don't really have guys that can step into the roles vacated by Blake Griffin and or Danilo Galnari if those guys get hurt. And then it's kind of the same thing at point guard, you know, yes, Tate Osich and, beverly are awesome and they're probably going to start those guys together but if one of those guys has to miss time they don't have a replacement for them really in any way i mean lou williams is kind of has a different role so you would want somebody else to step in
0: yeah i kind of i gotta say i kind of disagree with you on a couple of those points they signed deandre liggins whose only asset is the fact that he can kind of be a defender I'm not sure he's going to be on their team in October. But, um, you know, the bigger factor to me is, and they they drafted Joe Evans, but, you know, the bigger factor to me, what I like about this Clippers team is the amount of versatility and flexibility in that backcourt. They believe in Austin Rivers for obvious reasons. And I think Austin's a fine player who will be okay in this system. But Bev is an absolute hound. Lou is one of the most efficient scorers in the whole league. I mean, yes, that's that's a real thing about Lou Williams. He's super efficient. And playing in Houston only made him even more efficient, but I'm sure they're going to ask him to do a lot of the same things. And then you have uh Teodosic, who we don't really know exactly what we're going to get from, but at the worst, he's a lot better than, say, Pablo Prigioni. And I look at this team and I say, hey, they have backcourt depth. They have a, a legit two deep at both, positions in, in, uh, both guard positions. They have... You know, they're not counting on Wesley Johnson to be a starter or even a, slightly expecting him to be a starter. He's a backup player for them. Uh, Sam Decker is a backup player who can play both both forward positions, I think. And Blake Griffin has always thrived when he's been on his own. And it'll be very interesting, I think, to see what he and DeAndre can do about being the biggest—they really are. They're the biggest team in the league now, um, especially when they're going with the, the bigger lineups at guard, uh, you know— Austin Rivers is a pretty normal size shooting guard, and if you pair him with Patrick Beverly, who is six-one but might as well be 6'5", the way he plays, they've got some serious size, and I think they're going to win a lot of games because they know how to bully teams and how to be really aggressive around the basket with Blake and DeAndre. And Maybe this is my belief in Patrick Beverly, but I've always thought he had a level that he didn't always show next to James Harden that he's going to be looking forward to show now.
1: I think the guy I was giving short shrift to is Sam Decker. And so I am going to move them up. I'm not moving them into tier three because I I still see some lines there. But you're right that they are deeper in that way. And having a couple of different options, Montrezl Harrell and and Willie Reed at, at center, that was one of their misgivings last year was that, even though deandre is a robot and basically never misses time that they didn't really have that other guy so yeah I, th- I think it's i think i'm moving i'm moving them up within tier four but i still have them separate so who else you had the you had the grizzly so i am not on that train right now so i agree with you on the premise that if like when marcus and mike conley play they're going to be good they're going to be teams i completely agree with that But last year, I think they missed a combined 20 games. I think that's the total that that was. I just don't think that's an expectation. I think that's a possibility. I think that's more of like a best-case scenario for the two of them combined. And once you lose one of them for any period of time, I think this really falls apart now that they lost so much depth.
0: Yeah, they they did not have a great offseason. I really do believe... I I just believe Conley and Gasol get wildly underrated. I'm not sure that there's been a better point guard center combination other than Chris Paul for the last few years just with Conley somehow continuing to improve this guy keeps getting better and Gasol's complete willingness to evolve his game and the way he became a three-point shooter last year was a real game changer so you know there's there's some major questions there's also some major like potential interesting factors with them that who knows what Tyreek Evans might have in the bag if he's actually healthy at all and they didn't give up they didn't put any stock in him being good they didn't overpay him or do anything that would raise expectations but maybe he's still got something ben mclemore has been a good shooter for the last couple years completely aimless in sacramento but now he's in a program a place that has an understanding of how to treat nba players and you know an established leadership core i think ben mclemore is in a much healthier place now and maybe he can show something that he's never delivered on after being the number seven pick in 2013 and uh Brandon Wrights, whenever he's healthy, which is rare. Chandler Parsons, whenever he's healthy. They've got a lot of guys who maybe could be really good. And and they could maybe, if this team somehow stays healthy, actually be a big time surprise this year.
1: I think all of what you're saying is a reason why I think they are, they are a potential playoff team. But the chances, I think a lot of those are just kind of rolls of the dice. And I think they need a lot of those to go well. And you can believe in their system and believe in Fisdale, believe in their base and see that as, as a possibility. But to me, it's a possibility, not a probability.
0: And yeah. one thing, too, is they're still waiting um, as we record this. I believe they're still waiting on to Michael Green, which is crazy to me. Well, but I, I'm assuming
1: really... he'll be back. I mean, at yeah, this point, really at this point, it doesn't. Be... <laughs> I can't see a I can't see an offer coming out there the basically the way that they would lose him to me would be a sign in trade, and I just don't see that happening because yeah. it's it's possible. Again, possible but not probable. I think that that's yeah. there. Then the other team that you had in in this group and I do not I actually have them two tiers below and I'll explain why in a second is the Jazz. And the Jazz, their defensive potential is is kind of paralleling where the Grizzlies were a couple of years ago. Their defensive potential is pretty amazing. Like they have just a lot of good guys and their team was never healthy last year, but I have two big concerns that I'm not sure can be addressed. Realistically, I mean, unless they, unless they really have problems. So one is. Their offense, I just, it's just hard to see. There just aren't that many guys in their team that can really beat their guy and create. Rubio is a wonderful player, but he's not really that guy in in terms of like a half-court offense. And then that ties in with the second concern. Rubio is wonderful in the open court. He's one of my favorite players in the league. I've been on him since he was on Spain back before he was in the NBA when he was on Barca. But the Jazz do not have good personnel to run. And that's not just playing rudy gobert and derek favors as your starting front court which they probably will do when their guys are healthy joe ingles is a great transition player but he doesn't move he doesn't get out there and so like the guys <laughs> the guys that are gonna run with rubio is a very narrow list it's i don't even think of rodney hood as being that kind of guy it's more like donovan mitchell and depending dante on how, exum. dante exum if they play together like even their backup like front court players aren't really that kind of in the in the horse variety i mean ekpe udo might Maip- be their backup center we're still figuring that out tabo's not gonna do that joe johnson's not gonna do that like i think that there's this concept of what ricky rubio could be on on a good defensive team and everything else like that but uh, the way that this turned out i don't think will maximize him offensively
0: yeah what i love about this team and i agree with you i think that this is a weird pairing for rubio george hill would be way better on this team I think there's probably a couple, like George Hill's a little better than Ricky Rubio. He's probably like the 11th best point guard in the league, and Rubio's like the 15th. But on this roster, I'd way rather have George Hill. I would have definitely paid him. But with that said, what I love about this Jazz team, number one, crazy depth. This team, their third string has a guy like Thabo Sefalosha, has a guy like... Alec Burks, who they still kind of think could be a good player for them, Jonas Jerebko, who's always been good when he's given little roles, Tony Bradley showed some stuff. Uh, that, that it's a strong, strong like twelve man roster at least, if not, you know, going pretty deep. So they'll be able to weather some injuries. They don't have a whole lot of separation between that first string and that last string, which is the type of thing that really kills you in the playoffs but can be really good in the regular season because injuries are not going to hurt the Jazz as much as they're going to hurt a lot of other teams. But the biggest questions here for the Jazz, two guys, actually three guys. Rodney Hood, can he be a go-to scorer? He has wanted that chance. He fell out of the rotation last year after an injury and and basically like kind of lost his spot to Ingles and, and Joe Johnson for the playoffs. But Hood, keep in mind how much we all loved Hood just eight months ago uh, before the injury. And this was a guy who arguably was a better scorer than Gordon Hayward, just in terms of natural scoring ability and potential. And he's still very young. He could take a big step forward now that he's given a clear role and they're putting a lot on his shoulders. And then the biggest one is Derek Favors, who Derek Favors was really, really, really good before the injury started kicking in, and it's going to be fascinating just to see if he still has anything. If he doesn't, then they can easily move him, make him a backup center, and run small ball with Joe Ingles and, and Rodney Hood and, and either Exum or Mitchell playing next to Rubio and and just be a small ball team that's still really good on defense. But if Favors can bring back that that older that you know he's still pretty young I mean this is not an old guy so there's no reason to think that Derek Favors is done just because he had a really bad year last year this is a 26 year old who at one time was viewed as basically Gordon Hayward's equal when it came to the future of the Jazz and now just in 2015-16 averaged 16 and 8 the year before averaged 16 and 8 if he can get back to being a 16 and 8 player I, I have very little doubt that the Jazz will be in the playoffs
1: I agree with you on the depth, and I think that's an underrated part of this is that they're like, I think they're when in those 10, 15 minutes a game when team's second units are on the floor, if XM can really put it together or how Neto if, if XM really can't? If they can get the point guard play part of this handled, they're going to wreck teams during that time. And that could give them enough of a margin that even if they have trouble scoring, that they could make it work. And you're right about favors. I mean, there was a time not only about him versus Hayward, but him versus Gobert. I mean, there was a couple of years ago, there was the uh, you would not have like gotten people batting an eyelash at you if you said favors was the best player or the most valuable long-term player on the jazz there would have been people who disagreed with you you know like you could say rudy you could say gordon hayward but nobody would say like oh that's an unreasonable position to have and some of that might be, you know, maybe his injuries are at a point a point where you know it's going to affect him. Some of it is also just that the league has moved away from favors a little bit. But I agree with you that I think more of it is just that he hasn't had a chance to show himself.
0: Yeah, big uh, the big turning point for a lot of jazz stuff was there were two. Obviously, the Ines Cantor trade that basically the second half of that season turned Gobert into you know God's rim protector <laughs> and. uh then the other one was Favors' injury. And, and in before, we're talking a year and a half ago, before the Ines trade, there wasn't any question that Derek Favors was above Gobert, who hadn't really had a chance to show himself, and equal to Hay- Hayward. I mean, this was a guy who was 20, I think probably 24 back then, uh, 24 years old, really, 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 really talented. Players around the league will swear that he has elite potential to this day. And he's only 26. He... If he can get himself healthy again and he can add that jumper that he kept pushing out, he has been in the process of adding maybe not three-point range but close to it for a while now. And if he can keep pushing his jumper further out and maybe become a three-point threat, we've got a guy who can still be a good power forward and doesn't have to be a center to fit into this league. Because I do think, especially in the regular season, the small ball hype, you can only go so far playing small ball all the time before your players are just too beat up because there's a reason that Steve Kerr limits Draymond at the center, and there's a reason that a lot of teams limit their small ball units, particularly in the regular season, and that's because there are still a lot of guys who will put a pounding on a small ball power power forward in a way that maybe they get beat down the court a couple times, but in the long run it still affects the the small guy more than it affects the big guy. And so there's still the potential there for Derek favors and Rudy Gobert to be a really good power forward center combination. It's just now it's all on favors. He has to bounce back.
1: That's a a healthy way of, of thinking about where he is. And also the point about small ball is well taken because the Warriors are a good example of this. I think Draymond's basically only going to play center when they need it, like out of emergency. I don't think that's going to be the plan in any game. Especially now. Yeah,
0: especially now, now that they're super comfortable with everything. Now that they've gotten a year under the belt, we're not going to see the small ball warriors running out more than 10% of the time.
1: Yeah. but Before Audie and I move on to the rest of the West, I want to take a quick moment to tell you about the sponsor of this episode, Blue Apron. I have been gone covering both Utah and Vegas Summer Leagues, and while I was able to eat some amazing food lucky enough to do that, it was great to get back and actually do Blue Apron again. I've already gotten two deliveries since I've been back, made three of the four dishes that I got. The best one of those so far was the the seared salmon with lemon ginger sauce with carrots, peas, and rice. It was a, a really cool mixture in terms of the vegetables and the rice and then the salmon on top of it. And you've heard me talk probably before about The high quality of the seafood ingredients, in particular with Blue Apron, it's a great reflection of what they do so well, because all of their seafood is sustainably caught within the Monterey Bay Aquarium Seafood Watch restrictions, which are great for sustainable fishing, and it tastes great. It's the the best seafood that I have pretty much all year, and that's the way they handle all of their ingredients, and Blue Apron is great because you don't have any food waste, you get to learn ideally how to cook, but definitely how to eat good food, and it's in the right quantities. So it is true that, you know, you could go to the store and find many of these things, especially if you have a high-end grocery store, but you get it in exactly the right quantities, and you know it's going to be an incredibly high quality, and it's right there for exactly the meal that they give you the preparation for. So I've been a huge fan of it. They've been a sponsor for a long time. I've become quite attached to it to making it and everything else and you can try it out yourself go to blueapron.com slash real gm and you can get your first three meals for free with free shipping on that first order so again it's blueapron.com slash real gm just like the site i write for real GM, like this podcast and you can try three meals for free including free shipping and try blue apron a better way to cook So those are your R tier threes. They're very different. I'll explain. We didn't really
0: talk about the Thunder yet. Oh yeah.
1: Well, so the Thunder are kind of, they're on the front edge of this. I think that they have their defensive personnel now is fascinating. I mean, they have just versatile guys, Patrick Patterson's talented in that way. I think that he can fit in well, maybe even better than Taj Gibson, of course, signed a way better contract. Adams is going to fit in. I just like he did before Paul George, like I think they are gonna. Well, it'll be interesting to see what Donovan does in terms of a stagger, because I think he would probably like to have a little bit of time where he's the guy. But they totally have the talent to make that make sense.
0: I love this. I love. I love the possibility of all the of all the uh, different permutations that they can go with because. They've got a shooting guard who can play four if they need him to, in Roberson, defensively at least. You know They've got a shooting guard who can guard point guards and power forwards. They've got Paul George, who I think is an elite talent when he's kind of restrained. And that's that's one of the keys here. And that gets back to what I was talking about. Paul George didn't really respect his teammates in, in Indiana to be the guy. He didn't really respect them. as And I don't mean – this is not a negative. This is not – Paul George is a jerk who didn't like his teammates. This is, Paul George didn't really have reason to believe that any of his teammates were on his level. Now he does. Russell Westbrook is on Paul George's level. Russell Westbrook might even be a better player. And I think even though George has a a lot of confidence in himself, he'd admit that Russell Westbrook is a guy who he's okay with running the offense, who he's okay with setting him up for shots. He knows that a guy like Russell Westbrook can get him easier looks. If you can get Paul George to stop freelancing so much to stop dribbling so much to act and play like the wing the superstar wing player that he is i think you have a an awesome player a super efficient shooter who is truly one of the nba's best shooters probably one of the top 10 shooters in the whole league and if you can get russell westbrook to be feeding him the ball and he's and george is open we suddenly have a lot better version of russell westbrook because he has guys in paul george in doug mcdermott in patrick patterson in alex sabrinas who can hit those open shots that he didn't necessarily have last year. And Paul George has a guy doing all the hard work, getting him open shots. And I think that they're both going to be better because of the other one. And Patrick Patterson is a big part of that, too, because he's a guy who can also hit his open shots, defend power forward so George never has to, and uh, does a lot of small things without ever expecting the ball. So I really like the potential chemistry that this – Thunder team has I think they have more shooters and they have more defenders and they still have that crazy level of athleticism so I think they could be a playoff problem even for the Warriors
1: I absolutely think they can be a playoff problem for the Warriors. I think they, right now, they have the personnel, and I think Nate was the first person I heard say this, that they have the the best personnel to defend Golden State right now of any of any team that's out there. I would agree with that, even without a Kawhi type of player, just because of the the switching that they can do. And Russ is actually better in that sort of a system than a one-on-one because he just loses guys too often, especially when he's off the ball.
0: So Do you remember, though, that when, you know, in like 2013, 2014, 2013, let's just say. Uh, Paul George was considered as good a defender as Kawhi Leonard. I mean, Paul George, when he really locks in on defense, yeah, was an elite, elite tier defender. Well, we have he to we have been to see able if he can still do that. that. I mean, right, because he hasn't. He's had such a large offensive role that he hasn't been able to do that to the same level. And the stakes haven't been as high basically since Indiana broke up their their uh, 2014 team. So now we have to see. If three, four years later, now that he's got a guy whose usage rate alone is going to take the ball out of his hands a lot, now that George can refocus, can he still be, when he's presented with Kevin Durant or LeBron James, can he still be able to guard them one-on-one? Because if he can, that's a game-changer in the playoffs.
1: Yeah, I I think the Thunder right now, they're they're the fourth best team in the West. And I think it's, there's a little bit of a margin. Like I have them in the same tier as the Wolves, but if I, if somebody had them separate, like you did, that's fine. I don't have them all the way with the Rockets yet, but they're, and they're going to be a really, really fun team to watch. And what's so why everybody should watch them intently is until we hear what happens with Russ. And you know, if he ends up, if he signs an extension, this changes a little bit, but this very well could be a one year proposition. So appreciate it while you can. Cause even if it goes well, Paul George could still choose to go elsewhere.
0: Absolutely. Both of them could.
1: Yeah, both of them could. So my tier four is teams that I think should expect to be in the playoffs, but aren't guaranteed. So like, I think Minnesota, unless they get injured, I just think they're injured because of the way Thibodeau plays his guys. like His best players are going to play so much that they'll end up pulling some out. It is a question mark season, but I so I think there are five teams that are probably in. And I didn't expect this, actually, because I, ha- I restructured a lot. My next group of the teams that I expect to be in are the Nuggets, the Clippers, and the Blazers. And I think the reason reasoning is that those three teams, I think they have higher ceilings. I think they have higher floors than the other teams. And so I think that they go into the probable group and not the potential group, even though there are a lot of teams, almost everybody else in the Western Conference, that I think can make a reasonable case.
0: Yeah, so which, which marijuana team do you want to talk about first? Are we Blazing or are we getting the nuggets.
1: I have Denver <laughs> I think Denver's a better a better team right now, partially because they're they're not I wouldn't necessarily say they're deeper. I would just say that they're more versatile in terms of their depth. Like the Blazers have a bunch of guys, but I think they have a bunch of guys that are more ancillary characters whereas the Nuggets like there are different permutations that can make this team work.
0: Yeah. I have um I have the opposite. I have the Blazers one spot ahead of the Nuggets. My tier 4 is three teams that I think are not are hoping that the Grizzlies get hurt or that the Clippers' backcourt doesn't work out as well as I think it will or the Jazz can't score and are hoping for that because they believe themselves to be playoff teams, but in my mind, they're still a little shaky. And so I have the Blazers 9, Nuggets 10, Pelicans 11. Um, that's my Tier 4. And uh, if, we're, if we're starting with the Nuggets, the, best, the, the big question, it's so obvious. Like, Who's running the, the offense? Um, is Jamal Murray a point guard? Is Emmanuel Moudier an NBA player? Is Jameer Nelson still alive? Like these are, these are questions that have to be answered because we don't really know how good the Nuggets offense can be with these guys running it
1: these are also questions that get a lot easier when you consider that the ball should be in Nikola Jokic's hands as much as humanly possible. And
0: I think, is he going to bring it down?
1: No, well, I, I think bringing it down is a different thing. I think, I think Jamal and some of their other guys can actually do that, you know, in transition, those guys can, can flourish. I think Jamal can make good decisions. And then the half court, Jokic is pretty much the hub. Other guys can initiate pick and rolls. Other guys can do other stuff. But I think a lot of it runs through him. And you're right that it's it's fair to question it because that's a very unusual way to run a team. And the Nuggets did it some last year, but not so much that you get definitive proof that it works other than the sheer ridiculousness of their offense after they traded Nurk. Or not only not after they traded Nurk, but after they figured out, oh, we can't play Jokic and Nurkic together. That was a, that was an. That's, a, that's point.
0: another question, though. Right there is so yeah. We I, I agree with you that Jokic is an amazing offensive player, an absolutely tier offensive player. And Paul Millsap answers so many questions because he's the perfect guy to put next to Jokic. The other the question is though, their backcourt is not only young and not particularly skilled. They're not good defenders either. Gary Harris has the potential to be a good defender. I think Gary Harris long-term will be a good defender. He's not yet. You know, Jameer Nelson has never been a good defender. Jamal Murray is probably never going to be a good defender. And Emmanuel Moutier, again, are we sure he's even a good NBA player? So defense, they're going to get burned by a lot of teams around the perimeter because they're one of, as far as the whole NBA, including non-playoff contenders, they have one of the weakest one through three slots out of any team in the whole NBA. And uh, just because they have an awesome pairing at power forward and center, and I just worry about those other three positions.
1: But going back to the jazz, I think they have a lot of like the jazz, they have a lot of different possibilities there, and I have some i there are a lot of guys that I like you know I always
0: love Joe Angles on the nuggets
1: oh. Adam no wanted. He he was basically advocating for that and was very disappointed that they didn't. He writes for Denver Stiffs and yeah. it would have been a wonderful fit. I think Wilson Chandler is going to have a bounce back year for them because now he gets everything he wanted. He can be a starter. He can have a defin- defined role and it really works. He'll be on a good team. So I, th- I, th- I think he has more to give than he did last year. Barton, Malik Beasley, Gary Harris, who I love. I think Gary Harris is a part of the solution here. And I think he's been underrated around the league. He's not, you know, like, he's not going to be the best player offensively, but he's a good defender. He can fit in well. And that they added so much around him. I've said this about the Orlando Magic before, that they have a lot of guys who would be better if they got players above them. And you could just like slot them in. I think this is true with Aaron Gordon. That's to me what Gary Harris is, and they got Paul Millsap, so it worked out.
0: Yeah, I, I do. I love Gary Harris's potential, and I think he's a really smart player who plays hard. I don't know if you knew this, but his mom was a suit. It was like a star basketball player at Purdue. Um, you know, he, he comes from the basketball bloodline, and it shows when he plays. To me, like I still look at this team. Like to me, Kenneth Fareed, I guess he's just not going to play now. <laughs> so can you trade him? Can you make? I feel like there's still a move away, maybe two moves away, but at least one move away. I don't want to block Jamal Murray's minutes or Gary Harris's minutes, but to me, you can avoid blocking those young guys and still make a move to bring in a better veteran than Jameer Nelson to run so, the offense. So
1: basically the Eric Bledsoe trade.
0: Eric Bledsoe would be a very nice player on this team, yes.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's one way of making this work, and... I also feel like because of the way their offseason went, and yeah, I'm greatly disappointed in the chronology of everything with them. They added all these power forwards, and then they added a guy who made all those power forwards completely irrelevant. But I think they're fine without fixing that, and then anything they do to better balance their talent will help. So if they can move Trey Lyles, or hopefully not Wancho, I love Wancho, I think he should be a part of this team— Lyles, or probably they'll just keep Leiden, but like whatever, whatever in that case, or you know, Kenneth Fareed, you know, however they balance that, I think that can only help. It can't hurt, it can only help. And so that for me, and, and I think one of the maybe the differences of opinion that we have. And it might just be because I think I think of them as being more established than you do. It's just that I think those moves that you're talking about, those don't move them into like a tier four or tier three. I think those moves move them tier three, tier two, if they could pull it off and get the right guy. Maybe probably not tier two because the Spurs and the Rockets are that good. But like if they got if they did an Eric Bledsoe trade that where they did not have to sacrifice Murray, Gary Harris or Jokic. I think that moves them pretty clearly into tier 3.
0: Yeah, right? I could feel comfortable putting them from, you know, putting them into like the 7th 7th spot on mine on my list. If they if they had a better backcourt leader including even a small forward of uh, you know a nice versatile small forward who could do a lot of things would be a good fit for this team um if they had a guy like that i would feel a lot better about where this team was was headed for this season now i love their future i love wancho like you said very good player gary harris jamal murray i think he probably will be a point guard long term i just don't know if he's ready for that role yet um, and I was higher on Jamal Murray and Gary Harris as draft prospects than, like, anybody. So I, And I still love them. So those are two guys who I really, really like, love Jokic. You can't really argue with him anymore at this point. He's an elite offensive player. But I think they're still a, a year and or a player away. And I think the and or is the big question. Do they, do they make the move now and avoid being a year away? Because Paul Millsaps, you know, doesn't really have an too much longer than you paid a lot of money to Paul Millsap for three years. You don't want to have those three years go by and you never got the point guard to help the team come together around him. So it's, it's an interesting situation and one where I I would act faster than, than later, especially if Kenneth Fareed's a key piece of any move because he's not going to play.
1: Yeah, that that's certainly fair. So the way that I have the next group, so, so yeah, I had nuggets, blazers, clippers, and that kind of like expect to make the playoffs, but not guaranteed. We didn't
0: really talk. We didn't really talk much about the Blazers, but I just had one thought on the Blazers, which is I still ultimately believe that the most interesting player in this league in terms of where he's headed is CJ McCollum. And I'm just not sure that playing next to Damian Lillard is the ideal fit for him. I've Mm -hmm. always kind of thought he would be amazing if he was on his own team, if he had, if he was able to play point guard next to a, a guy like a Giannis or someone like that. But I still believe that this team has a lot of, potentially really good players and you know for role for very specific roles and not many teams have scorers like Lillard and McCollum like I think there's probably three or four teams in the whole league that can say they have scorers like Lillard and McCollum so the question is can they get something out of Evan Turner can they get something out of Mo Harkless or I mean more out of Mo Harkless can Alan Crabb develop into a truly elite shooter shooting presence or you know there's a lot of questions there Nurkic is at the center of a lot of things but I do I do think that the Blazers are a good team I think that they are a team that will be right at the cusp if not in the playoffs once again
1: well and I that's part of the reason why I expect them to make the playoffs is just that on a game-to-game basis you know that they're going to score and their defense is going to be hit or miss I think it's going to be more miss than hit but if you can score reliably against a wide variety of opponents you're going to do well Like, that's just the way this works. And so remember in the regular season that most teams don't really change their schemes and their systems much from game to game and playing Dame and CJ together just wrecks a lot of that kind of stuff just because you can't really game plan for it. But then in the playoffs, when you can get more into trapping and some of the more nuanced stuff and make adjustments, I think that they get outpaced. This is kind of the same issue with the Spurs. That they they just don't have as many cards to play because of the way their strengths are structured, but that doesn't matter much at all in the regular season.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I, Nurkic again—he's a game changer here. He's oh, he's yeah. a guy who if they can get if they can get the seven seed instead of the eight seed, and Nurkic and McCullum are are you know on fire like they were at the end of last season and Lillard is Lillard, and Lillard has a propensity to hit big shots. They could knock out the Spurs or the Rockets or the, or the, the Thunder. I don't think anyone wants to face him in the first round other than the Warriors, because I just don't think the Warriors care who they face in the first
1: round. Yeah, and, the, <laughs> and they don't they don't have the horsepower to knock out the Warriors just because like that. it's sort of this idea that an offense first team. And the other reason why Nurkic is so compelling is that he's an underrated defender at his best. We just haven't seen that very often. Like his rookie yeah. year, he actually was
0: pretty solid there. Loved him. That, that that possession where he pushed the guy to the ground. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Jokic so, so entertaining as a rookie, and no one was watching the Nuggets. Yeah. I, I, so he's sort of like Jokic.
1: Yeah, th- there is a parallel there. And so I think that there are ways that this works better. Like, I think they could get to the six or even the five. I just don't think those are the most likely scenarios. So I, I have them more in the seven, eight, maybe nine mix. And I think it's going to work. And then the other reason why the, the Blazers are here is that after the off season they where they basically decided not to cut bait on any of their expensive players and you know use some of their first round picks. you know they traded up to get zach collins we 'll see how that works out. They kept the pick and got Caleb Swan again. Those were their best options to unload money and so While it is still entirely possible that they could trade someone to try to clear cap space, and that trade almost definitely would have made them worse. I don't think we're going to see it this year. I think we'll see it next year, but I don't think we'll see it this year. And so that actually puts them above some of these other teams for two reasons. One is they're just deeper. And then the second reason is that as long as they're in the mix, I don't think they're going to cut bait and run because that's not what Paul Allen wants to do. He wants to see what they can what they can accomplish with this group. Whereas Utah... Dallas Memphis teams like that if it doesn't work they they I could see them throwing in the towel and just going oh this isn't our year we'll be better in a different year we'll save some money we'll be different in a different year I don't think Paul Allen cares about that at
0: all yeah Paul Allen's ridiculously rich never forget the importance of having a good owner ever an owner owner
1: who's rich but an owner who's rich and willing to spend
0: because those are different things can we talk about how important ownership is for like one second because this offseason should tell everyone Having a good owner is the key to success in professional sports. It is the most important thing. And, yeah, you're right. Rich isn't even the right word because a lot of people have more money than Peter Holt. A lot of NBA owners have more money than Peter Holt. And yet he's committed and his family is committed. So just having a good owner, is it can't be understated. It's so important. I'm, I'm looking at you, Knicks fans, Bulls yeah, fans, it, and, and uh, Cavs, <laughs> Cavs fans. It's such yeah. a it,
1: it's such a great predictor of long term success or peril. So, like, obviously, teams can outperform their station or underperform it based on other factors. You know, like, oh, this is a
0: really good transition into the Pelicans.
1: It is. So, like, you can outperform <laughs> that. You can draft Anthony Davis. You can get into that. But eventually, the gravity or the levity provided by ownership is going to just overwhelm that.
0: And the Pelicans have a bizarre ownership scenario, which has inhibited their basketball decision-making a lot. Um, It's simultaneously both kept Del Demps in place and undermined him on a regular basis. The things going on with the Pelicans, they tend to cut corners a lot. Uh, Justin Verrier had an amazing story on their training staff last season. And the Pelicans are just a team that there's no more frustrating team in the nba
1: my biggest so so there's kind of a parallel here with the blazers in terms of just like the top end talent is special on this team but the difference is we've seen the blazers top end talent work like there isn't a question of oh you know what what if cj and dame you know what that kind of stuff like they've made the playoffs a couple times the other issue with the with the pelicans is the there is a clear idea of what you need in terms of supportive surrounding talent for an ad cousins front court especially with drew you can think about it that way and that's you need shooting guys that are run the floor in transition and try on defense and they don't have much of that and they don't have many ways to get those players because those are some of the most valuable things in the league right now and the pelicans other than giving up more future first round picks is not really they're not really in the place to find those guys
0: Right. Which is, I think, I have them in that group with the Blazers and Nuggets as the teams that I have just slightly outside. Um, things could break right. Drew Holiday maybe has the best season of his career. It's entirely possible, but the play, I have them 11th, and the playoffs are not the most likely scenario for them. But I think that we're moving down now into your—the Pelicans were in your uh, fifth tier and in my fourth tier, but my, my fifth tier is 12 Mavericks, 13 Kings, 14 Suns
1: interesting i have a couple of different different thoughts there so i'll I'll go through i'll go through mine quickly and then we can talk about the differences so my tier five is basically the teams that are currently on the outside looking in but all have a completely reasonable case to make it if things go well and then fall off if things don't and so my mine and this order is is fungible a little bit but it's kind of the way i'm thinking about it at this moment pelicans jazz grizzlies mavericks And so Pelicans, I think that they just, they have a really high ceiling, you know, Anthony Davis is, you know, he was a a fringe, like MVP ballot guy, not an MVP winner, but a fringe MVP ballot guy two years ago. And they have better talent around him this year than they did last year. Hopefully Drew Holiday is going to play more games. Boogie will obviously play more games this year, hopefully, than he did last year. So they're in that mix. Jazz, you've already mentioned, I understand your case for them. I just think that their offense is going to be trouble, and I think the Jazz would be an unquestionable playoff team in the East, but because of just the teams above them, I have them here. Dallas, probably, you know, so actually I should do Memphis first, but you already talked about that Memphis, you know. Conley Gasol, if those guys play, they're a playoff team. If they don't, they're not. And then Dallas, I really am intrigued by what this could, could be if it works, But, and Rick Carlisle, I think, is one of the best coaches in the league, especially in terms of the regular season. But on a talent level basis, they're just not at the same group as those like top eight, top 10 teams. So you can't expect them to be in. They're just going to need, they're going to need everything to work.
0: Yeah, and I think that that's the story of the Mavericks last season, too, and that's why I I think they're in roughly the same range. They finished 11th in the West last season. The West got a little better, and now I have them 12th. They have some intriguing pieces, and and to their credit, I think they have a lot more flexibility and a lot more interesting outside-the-box pieces, like uh, Seth Curry, um, most obviously, to improve internally. And yet at the same time, a lot would have to go wrong above them for the Mavericks to be a playoff team with this level of talent. And uh, it's hard to imagine. As much as I think we'd all love to see Dirk make the playoffs, maybe next year that's that's a realistic possibility if they add another piece. But right now I think they're really just looking for some development from Nerlens Noel. They're looking for Dennis Smith to get his feet under him and have a stable rookie season. They're looking for Harrison Barnes to establish himself and figure out what position he plays for one. And, you know, above all else, I think that this season is going to be a chance to to experiment with a lot of different things and to see what their what their future is because they do have some flexibility for the future and they haven't done anything dumb that would uh impact them in a negative way long term, I don't think.
1: Yeah, I actually I, I really liked some key elements of their summer like being fiscally responsible we don't know what's going to happen with Wesley matthews like you know if he picks up his option then it's a little bit more flexible less flexible but i think they could move it if they had to and then they have barnes his contract isn't great but it's not terrible we'll see what happens with nerlands that's an open question i love dennis smith but it's going to take him time to figure this out like that's again going into the idea of maybe they could be a playoff team next year is that rookie point guards especially rookie point guards who only played one year in college and that year was kind of a tire fire as as you know as, a, as an as an ACC guy
0: like you know that uh, big 10 now Maryland
1: oh God, I hate the new <laughs> conferences so much I hate the new conferences so much but anyway so so Dennis you know that was not really a, a year where he learned a lot that will prepare him for his life with Rick Carlisle in the NBA so like Dallas gets here more on deference to Carlisle than anything else but so the other point and this gets into how you did your tears is I was not super comfortable keeping the teams that I kept out of this tier, the Lakers, the Suns, and the Kings. I wasn't super comfortable keeping them out of this because those teams have an outside shot I think every team in the West, like, it, theoretically, like, especially if we're top 16 format, has an outside shot. It's just that I, I was able to draw a line just with the Lakers. Like, they just need everything to go right to be in the playoffs this year, and I don't think they really necessarily are pushing for that.
0: The lake, the as, as you heard, the Lakers are not in my tier. Yeah. Um, they are on a tier on their own, just like the Warriors. Um, that's because the Suns have a lot of talent, and I don't know if enough people realize guys like Alan Williams and TJ Warren and... You know, he had an awful rookie year, but they still love him, Dragon Bender. I don't know if enough people realize that, especially TJ Warren in particular, is actually a really good player and had a really good season last year, and, and the Suns have some talent. Well, they and, if have, they, and if
1: they hadn't discretionarily sat Bledsoe for like a month and a half, they would. their record would have been a lot better too.
0: Discretionarily, yeah. I mean, they tanked the hell out of last season in every way. But, but you know, they have, they have talent, they have youth, they have some upside. They could be surprisingly good. They could win 35 games. It's possible. You know, the the Kings have George Hill, and they have a lot of big men who are good at. You know, including one Willie Fully-Stein, who's really good at defense, and uh, they've got I, Buddy Heald had an really good finish to the season. Buddy Heald might actually be a really good player for all the crap he got after the trade. So the Kings they have some upside, they have some some talent. They I think they'll probably be a significant level better than the worst teams in the East and probably better than the Lakers. But yeah, to round out this this uh tier conversation with the team that probably will get me the most hate, I don't think the Lakers are in the could maybe be a playoff team tier. And the main reason is because I think when you're that young and have that many guys who have proven so little, you're going to just have stumbling blocks. And I happen to really like Lonzo ball and Brandon Ingram as the core of a youth movement. I think Julius Randle's going to have a, a breakout season and maybe be their best player next season. But, um, I can't, I can't imagine. I mean, Lonzo is going to get abused by certain players. Chris Paul is going to have a field day going against Lonzo ball. And, uh, there's a lot of other point guards in the league that are going to enjoy a guy who doesn't have the the foot speed to stay in front of them, and you know isn't the greatest ball handler. As talented as he is as a passer and as a high basketball IQ player, I think they're going to see Cantavious Caldwell Pope isn't going to remedy all ills with this team, and they're going to be a uh, they're going to have some some faux pas, especially with Ingram and and Ball, who are still so young.
1: Yeah, I think the reason why I'm a little bit more. Intrigued by their playoff possibilities, just that I think their their starting five actually kind of makes some sense to me. Adding Brooke, adding KCP. I I wouldn't have said this before they got KCP, but like th- those guys can can be a part of a successful team, and also it it pushes guys down a little bit. You know, Jordan Clarkson doesn't have to start anymore. I think that's a very good thing hmm. for them. And they're you know their forwards Julius, Brandon Ingram, Wall Like I think that makes some sense. Like there there are ways that you can make that work. Their their big man depth is fine. Zubac I like. I've liked him for a long time. And then they can balance this out
0: reasonably well. Deng being ex- really bad last year also doesn't help my impressions like dang was really bad he was he was year, bad right? last year i think that this
1: will be a more conducive role to him also i think ingram is going to be way better which which yeah. helps out and so I like, i think that the lakers and Suns are sort of in the same boat i think that the you know for the Suns, it's also the idea of can they lean in? And now that, now that McDonough got an extra, got an extension, I actually think that's more likely now that they can just say, you know, like if the season doesn't start well, if they haven't already traded Bledsoe, just go, well, this isn't our time. Get somebody else, use, use some of their assets. Eventually they're going to need to get a, somebody who makes sense with, with Booker, you know, more on their timeline. Cause the, their team, like one of the important things to consider with the Suns is they're so young. Bledsoe is not an old guy. He's just like six years older than all their guys because they drafted all these 18 and 19 year olds. You know, they didn't just get rookies. They got young rookies. Booker, I believe, was the youngest guy yep. in his draft class. Bender, Bender, Bender was, was the youngest guy in his draft class. Josh Jackson is actually older than a, f- a fair number of the guys in his. But just Chris is really young. Chris is really raw. Derek Jones. Derek Jones. So like, I think that a lot of those guys like, it, and that's why it, it, they could just go in the direction of, of moving out of it. Also, I think they're the team that could really benefit from just one more year down there. That isn't as desperate to, to do it now. Like I think Sacramento, like that would have been the right approach for Sacramento, but that's not what Dave Yeager wanted. That's not what they did. You know, they got all these vets. Yeah. And so like you have them in that, in a tier, you know, above the Lakers in that tier, the reason why I don't is I just don't think they're as good
0: as, as. My question, my my thing is Eric Bledsoe and Tyson Chandler are, and if they keep them, oh, I and think Tyson Chandler them, might be done. He was good when he played last season. I mean, it'll be interesting to see how he bounces back. He missed a lot of time, but um, including the whole end of the year. But I don't know if that was really because you know of an awful injury or because they didn't want him to play and accidentally steal games by being a good rim protector and 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 rebounder, but. You know, I, I I see this team, this this Suns team. They have, a, like you said, a lot of guys in their early twenties and and even teens. But then they also have, to me, without a doubt, Bledsoe. To me, is is a lot better than Kentavious Caldwell Pope. I think he's a really good player, and I think Tyson Chandler's. I'd probably if if they're if he's healthy, I might take him over Brook Lopez. Um, I'm really curious about what Brook Lopez is going to look like next year. But you it, know, it's gonna be an interesting race. If they make the Bledsoe move, then to me the Suns do move not only into the same tier as the Lakers, but below. But yeah. Now you know, that's kind of the the bottom of the West is still a lot better than the bottom of the east. That's one of the things that you learn when you do this kind of exercise that the Lakers would not be at the bottom of the East.
1: <laughs> no, the Lakers wouldn't be in the bottom of the East. I actually think the Lakers would be would have a, a they would be in the kind of like potential playoff tier.
0: Yeah, in the East. right. Absolutely. They they'd feel okay being like ninth or tenth. I'd I'd feel perfectly fine putting them ninth or tenth in the East, which is just it's absolutely
1: bad. insane.
0: It's 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 insane and crazy and and a little bit of a problem yeah. if it gets any worse.
1: Well, and and so this could actually so it'll be a, a nice test of whether this idea that people have posited before, which I actually think is brilliant, I wish I wish I had thought of it before it was before people brought it up, was that in certain circumstances the bottom the bot the West is actually in terms of overall talent has been helped by how top heavy it is because when teams fall they fall harder whereas in the East these teams are going to beat up on each other a little bit so like whoever bottoms out in the west is going to probably be a better team than the worst teams in the east but might end up they're going to be out of the like playoff picture so much earlier than those teams in the east that they can actually be in that mix and that's kind of how the like the how the wolves got towns and some of those other ones is just when you fall you fall hard
0: yeah but the last six of the last eight number one picks went to east teams uh, granted, the Cavs got three of them. So,
1: the Cavs got three so, of them, and we don't know how many of those are still going to be on their franchise
0: anymore. Yeah, but. right. But yeah, I mean, uh, uh, there's something to that, yes. But we're also looking at like the Bulls. If Derrick Rose doesn't get injured, the whole trajectory of the Chicago Bulls franchise is different. If the Toronto Raptors make a smart pick instead of Andrea Bargnani. Their trajectory is probably different. Just a lot of a lot of mistakes. The ownership is better in the West. To go back to the ownership conversation, there's mm-hmm. not nearly as many bad owners in the West, and that's a that's a big factor.
1: And there are also better front offices too. I would say, by and large. And then the other huge factor here that will be we'll have to see. This could be a swinging factor. Is the big market teams are, I mean, I'm not counting Boston here, so I'm saying New York versus L.A. Like at this point in time, the L.A. teams are better run than the New York teams like over yes. the last five years. And so like I think the Nets are going to get that. And I have thought.
0: much better ownership. And have much better much. ownership much better ownership.
1: So like I think I think that Marks is doing the right thing in Brooklyn. It's just gonna take some time. So like I think they'll they'll be in that place. But the Knicks are just a tire fire. And so I think that's the other way is that major markets are an easy path to having some really good teams. And the New York squads have been so bad for so long that it just takes away some of the power base and they've needed teams like Cleveland and Boston to shoulder so much of that burden. Whereas in the West there are talented teams that have been consistently good in San Antonio. Oklahoma City has been consistently good since probably like 2011. 2010 was 2010 the year where they almost beat the Lakers but lost. Yeah. And then so so like so you have those kind of teams. That doesn't exist in the East. Like the Wizards have been around a little bit, but they had one year where they fell off. The Raptors have been there, like, I guess they're kind of, the Raptors are probably kind of like the Rockets equivalent. It's was probably there, but then they don't have a Spurs at all. And so it's just, it's a very different world.
0: Yeah. yeah. Uh, Anything else,
1: anything else on the West that you feel like we haven't discussed enough?
0: There's, I mean, the inordinate amount of talent uh, in the West, it's not just the players in their primes because keep in mind, not only are like eight or nine or 10 of the top 11 players in the NBA all in the western conference but the only one clearly on the tier of the west stars is lebron who's in his 30s and might be headed west. Well so, and so that
1: that's the other thing I wanted to talk about is that the most likely if you were to say in the abstract a max player change teams in 2018 the most likely thing is either west to west or east to west. It's not anybody going east.
0: Yeah, there's just not a scenario there where the east is really going to be gaining ground and uh you know a, a few teams in the east have sort of like the raptors and and, and the and the wizards have basically locked them out, themselves into teams that can't win championships and they're going to be good they're going to be near the top but they're they're basically locked in and so like i mean if you're a west fan if you if you're a, a person who wants to see the east rising and a new team in the east really becoming a real threat like i guess you're holding out hope that either the celtics or the bucks make some some moves in the bucks their GM search went about as poorly as possible. Why? Because of ownership. So it's a recurring theme whenever I talk about the NBA is so much of it comes down to ownership.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks again to Adi Joseph for taking the time. You can read his work at For The Win and USA Today Sports, and you can follow him on Twitter at Adi Joseph. That's A-D-I-J-O-S-E-P-H. We will be back and doing the Eastern Conference at some point during this week. We actually haven't recorded it yet. We were going to do it over the weekend, but we both got busy. So that also buys a little time in case the Kyrie, in case he gets traded soon, but we'll have to see on that. And of course, you can check out my work. Other places, Real GM, have some CBA Encyclopedia stuff that is already out, have some more that I'm in the works on, then have Dunked On with, with Nate. We've done the part of the Summer League prospect review we did kind of the first half of the alphabet so far in two different podcasts Then we have the second half to do at some point later this week. You can check out the Duncan LaRue Patreon. We're going to have a mailbag this week. And then also both The Athletic. So The Athletic at San Francisco is going to launch August 1st, which I'm very excited about, and I will be a part of that. And of course, you can also get access through any one of The Athletics. So Cleveland, Chicago, Detroit Toronto you get access to all of them so I think it's a becoming an even better value than it was originally and you can also I mean you can't check it out yet because it's not out yet but I've been editing my book which is 100 things Warriors fans should know and do before they die it will be for Triumph Publishing and it will come out November 1st I've been doing a full edit on the book really happy with where it is right now that's actually going to be submitted sometime around when most of you are listening to this so that's a nice little accomplishment If you have any feedback on the show, one thing I will mention is that the Division Capsule podcasts, which is an off-season review, regular season preview, those are coming back. I've already started discussing with potential guests about how we're going to do that and all that. And so there's actually a shorter off-season this year because of the earlier start. So the regular season starts in mid-October. So basically, that will be a large portion of the material that comes out for Real Jam Radio throughout August and September, but it will not be the only thing. I'm gonna have other guests on. I already have some ideas for that as well of what I want to do. But we'll do one podcast for each division. So that'll be six episodes of the however many are in that point. If you have any feedback on the show, good, bad, or indifferent, Daniel Larue NBA at gmail.com, at Daniel Larue on Twitter. Email's better, lots of reasons. If you take the time to write it, I will take the time to read it. If you want to support the show lots of great things you can do. You can leave a rating, leave a review in the podcast player of your choosing, subscribe, download every episode with a show like this that's even better because you can't necessarily be sure when it's going to come out. It's a great way to do it. And of course, you can check out our sponsors for this week. That is Blue Apron, blueapron.com slash real GM for three meals for free, including free shipping. I'm a huge fan of the product. I speak from experience. I really do look forward to it and we'll miss it when I'm on my next trip but we'll enjoy it for now while I have it. So again that's blueapron.com/realgm. We'll be back at some point during this week with the Eastern Conference tiers with Audi and who knows maybe if I get inspired by something else I'll do, do another podcast in addition. The beauty of Real jam Radio and being in the CLNS media family is that they give me a lot of flexibility if something comes up to do it. So we'll see what happens. But thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day.